This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A word from our sponsor, Von Seger Designs is a small Nebraska custom woodworking business making hand-burned customized wood pieces to be a statement in any room. Working with clients every step of the way, from hand-selecting the wood to customizing the design Von Segrin Designs, makes the process as smooth as possible. Specializing in items from themed bar carts and tables to cutting boards and signs so that you can show your team pride all year round. Show your Husker support in a unique and functional way. When you work with Von Segrin Designs, you support small businesses throughout the region. Allow Von Segrin Design to create a custom, fresh, hand-burned piece wood for your home or business. You can link up with them at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-D-N-E-S-I-1 and at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-N underscore designs. So check them out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. Uh, go big red and uh, let's start the podcast. Well, what's going on, everybody? Zach from Church of the Corn here, just doing a another commercial for Manscaped. Fabulous products for males as well as females. So don't worry, ladies, you're included here. Uh, a couple of things I just recently purchased from them were the body wash and the deodorant. Body wash, fabulous. Um, smells great. Got a lotion after after fill to it, which is awesome. And then the deodorant smells great as well. It smells like you're putting on cologne and lasts all day. Uh, from someone that sweats a lot, it is phenomenal. Uh, don't forget the lawnmower 4.0 is absolutely awesome as well. Um, the weed whacker for the nose trimming is great. Dude, Manscaped has plenty of great products. So do yourself a favor, capitalize on the Church of the Corn partnership with them by going to manscape.com and using the promo code corn church for 20% off and expedited shipping. So go up there, spoil yourselves and uh, let them know the boys from church of the corn sent you.
Oh, right. Jesus, this is already a shit show. Welcome back to uh, our favorite time of the year, Church of the Corn, our favorite day of the week. Sunday night, post-game, Zach's already walking away laughing. Uh, we got a special guest, uh, Wilson from Tool Time, hiding behind his microphone. Fitz, how you doing tonight? Shut it. All right, Fitz is off to a great start. Uh, your favorite Uber driver, Hype Man, how you doing? <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I'm still laughing about the Tool Time reference. Uh, it's just oh. incredible. No, oh, I'm, 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 I'm doing good. Uh, we should have brought that up on the live stream with Jimmy a few minutes ago. Oh, we should. Well, That'd be amazing. I'm sorry that, I mean, I have one professional mic in my face. I'm not even going to question why Zach has all that stuff in his face. Like it's a Friday in high school. When I'm Zach hides to... behind his microphones, he looks like fucking Bane. I forgot about that. That's, that's 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 actually pretty good. I'm gonna start hiding behind him a little bit more now. Uh, but Fitz, just move the mic off to the side a little bit and turn it. Well, I'm trying to not be like you at the studio when you don't talk into the mic. Can everyone hear me? I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, but you look like Wilson, and now that's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> I'm so glad I brought that up. Is this better for a non-video podcast that we're recording? We're live streaming it, dude. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. do that next I have, week. A, I have a face for podcasting and radio. I've been told that by many people, including my wife. Well, that's what happens when you just wear a black leather face mask around. <laughs> I changed the color of the ball. Does that count? <laughs> Is it Husker red? Oh, Jesus. This uh, is why I help you now. This isn't why this is why I'm not allowed to be the host, guys. We're three minutes into this podcast and we're Zach waiting on you. Be a professional. Zach, Zach can't talk because he's laughing the whole time and Fitz is butthurt because he's short. Well, it's like this is isn't a, this isn't like breaking news. It's been this way my entire life. It's like Dr. Evil and Mini Me. All right, let's get into it. Um we we just did the live stream with Jimmy. We didn't really get to talk about any of the the uh the perplexing things from the game Friday night. So I'm going to, I'm going to hit you guys with this one because it came out on Saturday after we finished our show. Were you, were you guys caught off guard initially on the Tommy Hill kick return when he was wearing number two and there's already a number two on defense. And then yesterday it comes out that he was warming up with wide receivers and it looks like there's going to be a position change. What are your thoughts on that? Zach, I know that's your boy. That's the guy you expected to be a stud on defense, and it just doesn't appear that it, it was working out for him. Yeah, because uh, and, and I'm trying to think and remember if he played a lot of Arizona State his true freshman year. I don't think he did, but maybe I, I have to look that up. A little, um, he played a little bit. I mean, he had some snaps. He wasn't a starter, but he, I think okay. he played in probably 80 to 90 percent of the games and, i mean there he is right there on uh on fitz's background number zero you know he's he's a high level athlete which everybody is at the division one level so maybe a change of scenery will be good for him apparently what was going on with the defensive back room and apparently what's what was being taught or, or maybe there was just some disconnect between him and fisher it seemed like at this point yeah uh maybe a change of of scenery to the def or to the uh, wide receiver returner room would be good for him 
Well, I also think he's a kid, you can't let that talent go to waste. It yeah, no, and I mean to. he's he's been in the return game the whole time. I'm actually in the room of belief that this is more of a necessity out of produce lack of depth from producing receivers. He switches to number two. We all know who wore number two previously, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. Um, is that an injury? Did did he decide to redshirt? We don't really know. There hasn't really been an announcement there. I, but I mean, we we know we we've had conversations with people in the back that you know that that's private stuff. But publicly, we don't really know what's going on. Well, and so, if somebody, if unless I feel, especially now, and we've seen this over the years too with Frost, but unless somebody gets hurt in game, like we found out. Um, right, uh, uh, couple guys are hurt, right? Reimer mm-hmm. and who's the other one? Um, there, I thought there was another defender. Uh, well, Henrich had been Henrich had been hurt. Was it Newsom? Yeah, Newsom mm-hmm. after the game. Yeah, some things like that. But they're not going to say anything because it's been you know it's kind of like hey you're with us or you're not type of thing. And I'm I I would guarantee I would guarantee that there are people that have essentially left the program that that aren't there anymore but we're not going to hear about that unless they get hurt in practice or get hurt in the game it's not going to come up so um i think eventually we'll find out about isaiah uh on kind of what what his because he's injured right so what does he do does he take a red shirt does he you know those sorts of things so that's just kind of it just kind of jumped in on there with what we've seen in the past anyway injury declaration was never a strong suit of, of frost it's like keeping stuff back because it was going to help us win. Well, I don't, I don't think it's been a strong coach of any coach besides Riley going back to Solich. I don't think anybody was ever very open about our injuries. And that's where the divide starts to come in and people complain about certain things. And then when the media actually does something and then people complain about that, we're, I mean, just take what you can get and go with it. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. how, that's how it is. Yeah. I just, I, I was very surprised seeing that that change at this point in the season um how quickly can he get involved in offense is is a question for me because the guy the zach you said it the guy has elite athletic ability um and you saw it on the one kick return opportunity he had on friday night he he made a play so for what it's worth he did play receiver in high school as well so i mean granted he does have some skill set to work with yeah absolutely um I don't think the old adage of, hey, if you could catch the ball, you'd play receiver, but you can't catch the ball, so you're DB. I don't think that applies in today's game at all. Yeah, that that what used to be the guys that, like you said, they had bricks for hand, so occasionally you're going to catch one, and yeah. that's why you're playing receiver. But you know, or, what, uh, you know corner, what else? Me. I And I, I've said this so far earlier in the season, so I don't feel like I'm going out on an island here. I just don't think – I think Tommy Hill could be a very good corner. I don't think he can be a very good corner in the Big Ten. I don't think he's physical enough. Um, Damon Benning had talked about it at, a lot, too. He's he's not great at getting involved in the running game. He's not great at getting off blocks. And that's, that's not to knock the kid. It's just not his skill set. I think if he transfers to a Big 12 school last year instead of Nebraska, he's probably a starter in the Big 12 playing corner right now and, and making plays. I Sometimes, you know, different leagues have different styles, they have different makeups, and things just don't work out. Uh, but I, I'm interested to see where he goes from here because I, you got to find a way to get him involved somewhere. You can't just let elite athletes rot on the bench. 
Yeah, there's just and there there's too few of them out on the field that if you've got one and that you're struggling, you got to figure out some way to get them on the field. And I mm-hmm. think that's one thing the staff has done a good job of is I don't want to say players are given a short leash, but we're going to give you a little rope. If yeah, you fuck sure. up. We're going to let you sit there with that rope. We're going to maybe give you a little more. You fuck mm-hmm. up again and make the same one, but we're going to pull you. We got to pull yeah. you. Well, you got to take, ep- take a breather. The evidence is in our, and we've talked about him at length, you know, last couple of weeks, Malcolm Hartsock. The, the group Moore. was there. They, they attacked, especially Hartsock, they attacked him early. He had a pass interference call. He, you know, a couple catches against him, but he didn't quit, right? And it's just, that's just lack of, let's just call it what it is. It's lack of experience at this level. It's everything's a little bit faster. And he definitely wasn't getting the reps at practice, except for the last, let's say, two weeks. You know, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit going in Oklahoma, they were ramping that up a little bit. But the fact that we see him struggle, but then he's finishing the game and makes a, a, a pick, right? So those are the things that I see from this coaching staff. And Zach just hit on it. They're given they're given some rope. They're not en- they're not given enough rope to make it dangerous for themselves, but they're given enough rope to say, hey, show me that you can fix this. Show me you understand what we want you to do. And then you're going to play all day long. So here, I, this is kind of the last thing I want to touch on from this Rutgers game. And I, because we talked about this a lot yesterday, the the Rutgers game, I, I think we should do a little bit of pregame for Purdue tonight. But um, this, the change with Mickey and Bill Bush, the the most important change that I've seen, and, you know, you could talk about it with the Casey Thompson, Chubba Purdy against Indiana, or you could talk about it, Malcolm Hartsog on Friday night against Rutgers. When you are making mistakes and not making plays for the first time, for the first time in the last five, six years, we're seeing guys get taken out, but it's not permanent. Like before they weren't getting taken out at all. Right. They weren't going to say it's not personal. And I think you were right on with that though, too. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's not personal, but for, we weren't seeing guys get benched for a series coached up and then put back in. Uh, they weren't getting taken out at all. And so there was no way to learn from the mistake. And at that point, and this has been my big, my big thing under the frost regime was I never felt like anybody's job was ever up for grabs. Once you became the starter, you started until you were hurt. And now you see it with Ben Hart and Hunter Anthony at right tackle. Those guys are splitting reps because neither one has beat the other guy out. And Anthony Grant won the RB job, and right now nobody's close to him. So he's the guy all the time. We're not seeing rotations throughout the drive. Trey Palmer, he's the guy. Marcus Washington, he's the guy. Alante Brown, he's the guy. Uh, and I think that's good for the team. I You clearly from this see some problems with depth, but I also think you're seeing a lot of those guys at the bottom half of that depth chart fight a little bit harder to get into that rotation because they see the possibility there right now. Yeah, I think jobs are a little bit more open than they've been the last few years. Um, you got to give players the ability to, like we've, like we've said, make mistakes and learn from them. And, and if they're not learning from them, then, then of course, that's when you give the, the pull. Go into the depth thing, though. We're not seeing it at every spot, though. It just seems like we're able to see it at certain spots, but we just we we don't have the depth at certain spots. Injuries, maybe just 
lack of understanding of the playbook at this point. I could put it on a lot of things, but once you develop that depth, I think this program will be a lot more dangerous. The starting 22 can compete with anybody in the country, and I think that's fair of most universities. It's just when you get to that mm. second 22. I, I I think our offensive line Thank against you. anybody will get us get us killed. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm <laughs> saying they could compete with anybody in the country. They're and serviceable that's, that's, right now. They made some changes. I would tell you, and tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. And I know I've talked about this before, but and maybe I'm just imagining because I I think it might help. There's some changes that have been made in their alignment a little bit. Their splits are a little bit wider. They're giving themselves an opportunity to catch instead of chase um, mm-hmm. with some of those defenders. I think with those little things, whomever whomever is saying, "Hey, these are the things that need to be done." Kudos to them. Um, well, but you're, here's you're my right, biggest though. my biggest problem with this offensive line, and I think part of this falls on Casey too. Mm-hmm. This offense seemingly has no idea how to diagnose where the pressure's coming from at all. You got running backs and linemen both looking at the outside guy and somebody shoots up the middle. Uh, You have a basic stunt that leaves three linemen trying to block two guys, but those two guys are past both of them because our linemen ran into each other, you know, like they Somewhere we have to figure out how to diagnose pressure. I think the offensive line has the talent. They have the ability to at least slow this down a little bit if they can figure out how to diagnose the pressure, which is seemingly the biggest problem. Well, let's, and I think I'm going to get the number wrong, but let's not take away from what Rutgers actually has on defense. Are they like 18th in the country or were they? I mean, they still might be. They were uh, yeah. Prior, prior to the Ohio yeah. State game, their defense, their were, defense had I been mean, pretty good. And and Shiano's brought them there. You know, he's 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 gotten to that point. So I think I think we, you know, and I mentioned in our previous thing too, is that they only had one sack. Now Casey yeah. was getting batted around, um, you know, like, and it wasn't. It's not pretty, and it's not gonna. He's, he's not gonna be able to maintain that for the entire season. Mm-hmm. But you know, w- with with everything that we're doing, let me, let me shift this and I'm going to get Zach's, I'm going to kind of load the question up with talking about our own defense, but you know, news broke today that Shiano fired his offensive coordinator. Um, what do you make of that? You know, and it's not just Nebraska's doing obviously, but is that, is that warranted from what you saw or did Nebraska do a good enough job that, you know, but if, if any, you know, and addendum if any offensive coordinator was going to get fired it would be drake's boy brian ferentz but um that's not the topic here hey i love i love that they keep brian ferentz it gives us a shot every every year i I am also a fan of them keeping brian ferentz for the rest (laughs) of forever sign that man to a lifetime i was gonna say let him be head coach um yeah it it seemed like a knee-jerk reaction but Rutgers hadn't been tearing it up offensively this year to begin with. It seems like the quarterback situation, as we talked about earlier, is very unsettled up there to the point that uh, there was, it was very hit and miss production wise for them. The running backs should have been utilized a lot more because the stiff arm that they were utilizing against our linebackers was pretty much unstoppable. It was impressive how they were running the ball, but they went away from it. Um, and then they melted down later in the game. So it, 
Bill Bush is just taking people's jobs right and left. So good for you, Bill. 100%. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's jump into Purdue pregame a little bit. I got both teams pulled up here. Pretty, pretty even on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we, we destroy them in terms of anything running the ball. Here's the stat that alarms me the most. Purdue has only given up, where did it go? Uh, Purdue has only given up 11 sacks for negative 63 yards, whereas Nebraska has given up 16 for negative 143. But take out the Oklahoma game and then tell me what that stat is. Do a little quick math for it here, Drake. I don't, I don't have it broken down by game. I just All right, I'll look it up as, as, since I interrupted right. you. Uh, now here, here's where things get really interesting on the offensive side of the ball. They ran 453 plays. We've ran 452. They've outgained us by roughly 20 yards. Uh, they averaged four more yards per game. Does this game have the opportunity to be a total shootout? And I ask that because our offense, and granted, we're playing better teams since Mickey's taken over, but our offense has looked progressively worse since Mickey was given the keys to the show. And I don't think that's an indictment on Mickey. I think it's more of who we've played. Doesn't but, it seem like we thought, the, and I, I know Indiana was somewhat of a shootout in a way, but didn't we kind of think the same thing about Indiana where we thought it'd be a little bit higher scoring than it was? I think these usually kind of turn into rock fight games where it's yeah they both got good offenses but i don't know there's something about playing in purdue that just makes that game scary shitty at night the worst the fucking way, field in college football how many injuries are we going to have in that one end zone Pre-game. just in warm-ups that's yeah, what i was gonna say warm-up yeah it, it's taken so many acls that I, I, yeah, just, just get out of that game healthy at this point. But I, I really do think Nebraska is in a position where they can beat Purdue. Um, I don't think there's a game outside of the one up North that's not winnable at this point. I feel like every, every team that's on the, the dock at the rest of the year is gettable. So here, here's something that, that strikes me as really interesting for, for this game. Penalties of penalty yards. This year, Nebraska, 44 penalties for 345 yards. Obviously, 12 and like 130 of them came against Indiana. Purdue, on the other hand, has 40 penalties, but for 418 yards. If I had to guess without finding a way to break down these penalties, I would guess that they have problems covering receivers, and those are all 15-yard pass interference. Is this where we take our advantage? You got to be able. Do to they have a guy field. that can cover Trey Palmer? I mean, I don't think anybody does, but do they have a guy that can keep, stay close to him? You're about to find out this weekend. I think he. I think this may be the first time you really see a safety over top of him, and it's noticeable. Um, which should somebody open else up. is going to have to step up. Step up. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly yeah. right, Zach. Um, but this is a game where I would love to see an intermediate threat across the middle and that doesn't necessarily have to be a receiver. I'm more going toward the tight end room coming up big. 
um, when you can utilize the middle of the road, the, the field, the rest of the field opens up for you. Those days they like, start sucking down a little bit more headed over the top for Palmer. Would you like to see more two tight end sets where those tight ends chip the edge to start and then run like shallow crosses themselves? I'd love to, but this last weekend they got a false start with zero time on the clock. So went right out of a two tight end set. So maybe not. Well, A, I'm thinking. I'm just bitter about that still. Sorry. Yeah, no, again, I'm thinking tight ends on opposite sides of the ball. One, one line up for each tackle. Yep. That way they chip Um, and then go or get into whatever the hell they're going to do. And I think you do that with Brewington and Vokalek and let those guys run across, run their defenders into each other. And because both those guys can make a play with the ball. But offensively, I would like to see more action of Palmer on a shallow cross with everybody else crossing over him. So you're emptying out that side of the field when he catches the ball and he can turn up and go. Obviously, a, a drag route across. Well, and, and I think we flood the other side. I think we saw that a little bit too. That if he set, if he set a little bit more inside, and like you said, he's taken that, he's taken it out and in. And then you've got whether it's the tight end leaking out or, you know, the opposite tight end coming across. And then if he can catch it and he's got a step on his guy, then if he can turn up field, then there's some daylight, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I think we're I think we're right on right on par with that. Now, you were talking about, you know, what Purdue did on defense. Charlie Jones is the Iowa transfer, correct? Yeah, the wide receiver. So so he leads. He's got seven. Uh receiving touchdowns um they've got 13 total receiving touchdowns doesn't seem like an alarming number for what six games um but then especially for no no sorry 13 13 sorry my math was completely wrong 13 but then they've got 11 and they did what they put up 56 against indiana state or whatever that game was so take out take out those eight touchdowns and now you know things change so I'm not, I'm not as worried about the offensive threat of Purdue, but again, they're four and two, they, they're two game winning streak. You know, they beat Minnesota, which, you know, Minnesota had come in ranked and we saw how long that lasted. And then they, they beat Maryland. Um, is there anything that Purdue's going to do against Nebraska that concerns you? Run the ball. Yeah. They're they're you, yeah they they always have a surprising run running attack against us. I don't know where it comes from. They've always 17, got some giant white reverses. The fucking ball. Yeah, what what always worries me about Purdue, and you know, I'm a little less worried about it with Bush running the defense than Shenander is. Bush. These guys are going to dink and dunk until they can take their shot. Are DBs and linebackers and safeties going to be fundamentally sound enough and play play all their keys, right? If you have Marcus Buford and Miles Farmer who are, you know, in a cover two set, are they going to know when to pick somebody up or when to come down? Purdue's offense scheme-wise is what scares me. Their execution – hasn't been tremendous against like opponents, but it seems to always be there. 
A, against us, and B, against a really good team at home at night. Um, we all remember when they went and got Ohio State and West Lafayette a few years ago, and Rondell Moore went bananas. Good news but is they don't have Rondell Moore now. And they don't have anybody like Rondell Moore. No, but I was just saying they don't have that David Jones, Bell, but Charlie Jones is, is putting up a sneaky good year. Yeah, Charlie Jones is good, and Jeff Brom, I would consider one of the better offensive minds in the league except for clock management against Penn State game one. Yeah, other than that, it's it's hard to find too many flaws with, with Brom and his game planning. He's He's been pretty consistent the last few yeah. years there. I'm pretty pleased, though, the last – I'd say even the last two games for sure, just the ability of the linebackers to, to run in space and cover a little bit more. Um, it appears that they brought the safety down, um, helping in the run game, but also can pick up as as needed they've let the guys they've let the guys play a little bit more on islands and we're seeing that we already brought talked about Malcolm Hartsog we talked about those guys I just I I think what Purdue is looking at you know if they're you know taped the last couple of years what they've played against versus the last couple of games I don't know if they know exactly what Nebraska is going to do I don't think we know what Nebraska is going to do Maybe on either side of the ball. Well, and that's the thing. Like Grant, Grant ran the ball 19 times and it was tough sledding for everybody. Right. But, you know, he was more involved in the receiving game than we've seen. So that's, that's a new wrinkle. Um, I could imagine whether it's, it's Yant or, um, you know, maybe Brewington. We talked about this before as well. Now, maybe both of those guys, Grant and Yant, Grant and Brewington in the backfield. Um, Brewington may be playing a little bit more of that H back and he gets something quick underneath as far as a run play, you know, an inside hand, you know, anything, something like that, that I, th- I think Whipple, we know Whipple has more in his playbook than we've seen. Um, it's taken a little bit last, especially last week to maybe get into it. But now if they're watching these crossing routes and like you said, all the attention goes there. You know, now Palmer takes the top off or, you know, maybe maybe they just got Tommy Hill and he's going to run in and all he does is run nine, nine go routes and hopefully one hits, you know, whatever it might be. I just I just think there's there's a little bit of an uh, an unknown that gives Nebraska a little bit of an advantage. Would you like to see some if Purdue gets into the press game, would you like to see some quick back shoulder throws? I think that's something that we have never utilized that that could relieve some pressure. It I think, could, yeah, if you've got the that timing built up, but that's a lot of trust. It's it kind of looked like there was a couple that were maybe that was the idea with Marcus Washington on on Friday, um, you know, and whether it was just good good coverage, um, they weren't calling any defensive pass interference. It was all offensive pass interference, yeah. but you know, so I, I just think those guys can if Thompson trust it. Like, like Zach said, but you know, you get those hands up. I think there's opportunities there because then what ends up happening, you know, you run it, you run it, you run it. And then what do you do? You fake one and then you're gone, you know, yeah. you get them to bite. And then in the same, in the and same that back bar, shoulder throw gets you a double move too. It, and that's, and that's it. And, and that kind of sets the, the stage for, it's more of a play action too, because if we've been running two, even just three or four of the back shoulders, whether it's a fade or it's just the the quick out on the back shoulder, 
and and you know they're running it and all of a sudden here you go you get the safety to peak you get the quarterback to peak the guy's gone and yeah. you know Casey can hit that long ball with with the best of them right now now Purdue's front seven the last few years has been pretty good against everybody but like most teams front sevens looks elite against us what can we do to get Anthony Grant going do we do you guys foresee more Anthony Grant designed pass plays instead of just checkdowns, or is that where he's going to be most dangerous? Is in the checkdown game. That's well, screen game. A... If you can get him in there, yeah, utilize that screen game. It neutralizes the rush, and it's going to take some of that pressure off your offensive line. Get a hand on somebody. That's literally all you got to do. Get yeah. a hand in on, on somebody. Get in the way. I don't know if I don't know if they have enough time with that line for for Grant to hold in there to even pretend to block for two seconds and then sneak out on some of those not you know and be available. I think it's more can he can he slide out as the option to see who to see who pulls pulls out with him and then maybe you've got the tight end like you talked about just you know different things like that. So. Um, I don't know. I'm not opposed if, if Grant's getting the ball 25 times a game, though, either. Eventually, yeah. something something is going to break. And I think we saw even just a little bit of it where Yant's style, just that quick change, you know, and where Grant was going, because Grant keeps him, almost kind of freezes him, keeps him going. And it was almost like Rutgers starts to overplay that next handoff. And what does Grant do? He blasts forward for 12, 12 13 yards. Yeah. And he's tough to bring down. So, um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think the offensive line? Cause they have to get better, right? They've got to provide more opportunity. Is it a, is it a scheme? Is it the the players themselves or is it, you know, what do you think they can, what can they do to give Casey just a, a step more time? Well, I would, I would like to see because part of the reason and Jimmy brought this up, right. Part of the reason we have not been able to do some of the things that I was excited about when we hired Whipple with, uh, you know, some quick pass game to use as an extension of the run game is because our receivers aren't great at getting off the press. There's enough of them being slowed down when they're being pressed to throw off the timing, but there's some things that you can do to balance that out with, uh, instead of lining up a guy in the slot and a guy out wide, you bring both those guys in a little bit tighter and you stack them instead. Mm-hmm. And, and that mm-hmm. top guy kind of runs interference for that bottom guy to run, run whatever route. Uh, that's a, that's a built-in pick play at the line of scrimmage, right? Do some things like that. You can run some wheel routes out of it. I'm a huge wheel route guy, but, and then, you know, when, when you stack like that and you have three guys on one side, you hit that quick bubble screen a couple of times. Something that we haven't ran in a long time, and I think it probably goes back to to one of Bo's many offensive coordinators, is that fake screen and one of those blockers runs a fade. Yeah. Well, and I think, and tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, but as long as the pass is behind the line of scrimmage, those other receivers can be blocking already, correct? Yeah, I, I think they can go up to, up, to, up to a yard or two. To, and just at least initiate the contact so then they're already engaged. And then you catch it and you go. And that's where that's where we've talked about it. You know, we're not the only ones, but this, the body types of the receivers that are there now lends itself to doing those types of plays. 
No, you don't. Are you run surprised with the lack of reps and production from some of those younger receivers that we thought we were going to see? Well, like a Latrell Neville and okay, well, Sean Hardy. If you went back and you know, there's a couple of different, I, I you know, your boy that you brought up we, all off season. Oh yeah, yeah, he was on my um, uh, Janarion. Yeah, um, Bonner. Yeah, Bonner, yeah. You know, and and who knows, maybe. You know, you never quite know. It's like, is it a, is it a, a lost season? You're not saying that, but do they, do they, if they just come up with agreements like, Hey, just continue to practice. You're going to red shirt. We're going to hear how good they were on, on, you know, scout team or whatever. But, you know, we had talked about your Hardys, your Nevilles, that part of it was on them. A big part of it was on them. Now you kind of, you, you, you wonder if where they were, in the scheme of things with the new staff, especially because if they're not getting a chance now, it's going to be hard to think that they're going to get, you know, a chance later, but Omar, my Omar Manning goes down with the, what looked like maybe just a calf cramp. I don't know. It was, it looked like it was knotted up like a tennis he, ball. He was on, on crutches. Left side. Oh, he was, was on he? Crutches. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I think that's a big one. Yeah. Um, I, I hate to say it, but, he it's not like he was a threat it's not like he's not palmer he's not washington um you know not Alante I, brown no and you know the accounting for him so okay so back to your original question who's gonna who's that guy um well and, and you know what who, you know because we know isaiah's not playing we talked about that it's but, it's not going to be on this game this week tommy hill why but, why is oliver martin on a milk carton after his great game against Indiana. Like we've talked the only about thing this. he did was he was catching punts. Really, that's about all we saw him for. Yeah, I saw um, I saw him get a couple snaps, but man, yeah. th- this goes back to many of the things that we've talked about. Right, we don't want to see a guy have a good game and then go on a milk carton. Like that disrupts the rhythm. There's there's game rhythm and there's season rhythm. And Oliver Martin, unfortunately, has been a victim of not getting into a rhythm. Well, and it's hard to it's hard to get into a rhythm when you're you're running in and out. You know, it's they're letting, you know. Washington runs and makes a catch. And I don't know if it was I can't remember if it was one that was overturned, but he makes a catch on the on the right side. And then they have they move him to the left and he runs an out on the left side and he called, he calls himself out. Right. And that's, you know, he two good plays, a long play on the second one. Well then who's, who's coming in, right. Is that when we're seeing Alante Brown, I just, I don't want to get it to the place where, and I'm trying to look up some snap counts here too, but I don't want to get to the place where it's, you know, if Washington's not on the field and if Palmer is the only receiver or where it's, it becomes so, predictable that they can load up the box right so that's where you know you trust what Casey's seeing you trust what um Whipple's I, calling I don't know it's just it I don't know to, that I do trust what Whipple's calling it's kind of what well, I'm getting at. well yeah I, I argue with that hey I, I just and this goes back for years too so it's not just a, this staff problem but the rotations make zero sense to me um and i i brought it up yesterday on the radio like 
Rutgers opening drive, they had three running backs with three carries, not counting their tight end who got a carry. Mm-hmm. Yesterday I was watching KU, TCU, Oklahoma State, and uh, Texas Tech. Those are high-powered offenses, and they are making substitutions mid-drive. And we're not doing that. And I, I think that's, A, part of the reason we're seeing injuries is because guys are playing with, when they're exhausted. Yeah. And two, you're not you're not getting reps for guys when guys are getting hurt. So until they're they're hurt, you can get guys reps early so they're into the flow of the game. They've had a little bit of contact, and that's what I want to see more of this week. I think this week is going to be a little bit more of a high scoring game. I think it's going to be a faster paced game, which you know is kind of the style of game I want to see more often than not. I don't like these Iowa Illinois nine to nine to six games. Well, so let's go, let's go back here. You had eight receivers, seven receivers that that logged the catch. It obviously doesn't indicate who exactly was out there, but Alante Brown had one plus his reverse that was supposed to be a pass. Oliver Martin had two. Chancellor Brewington had one. Now you go up. You've got Vokalek and Anthony Grant with six each, which which leads us to really good conclusion, an easy conclusion that they were really doing their best to take Washington and Palmer away. Um, it was, it was physical, um, but they each had four, four catches, uh, you know, I, but on the other side, Rutgers, same, you know, same thing. Seven guys had, had catches. I don't know exactly what that rotation looks like for, let's say your three ride receivers. Cause you've got Palmer, Washington, Alante Brown and Oliver Martin. So really you're looking at four wide receivers that caught passes. Who who's the Oliver who Martin had a catch? Uh he had two for 16 yards. I don't even remember seeing him out there, man. The long, the long was 15. So he had two catch, one for 15 and one for one. Um I don't I just don't know. I don't know who who the next guy is. I and it, it's crazy just with everything that's been going on, and we we talk a lot about the changes on the defense. We've talked a lot about the guys. So now we're seeing seven, eight guys on the offensive line. I can't tell you beyond Alante Brown. I mean, I know we named a couple, like who else could it be, right? What's the depth chart of receivers look like? Right. But I mean, you got, you have three wide receiver positions. You only having four guys out there catching balls. I, and I know Trey Palmer has to be out there all the time. Marcus Washington has to be out there a lot, but I mean, you have guys like Victor Jones who are supposed to be yeah, yeah. playmakers, Latrell Neville, Sean Hardy, Jiron Bonner. And, and there's, there's more guys that I can't even think of. And I could say the same thing about the defensive back room, right? Like we have damn near 20 guys on scholarship on the back end and we see six of them. So I, well, I just, and, and, yeah. And one's getting switched and one's, yeah. I don't know. So, I, It's interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, you want to give me, okay, so let's do this and we'll, you guys will have a chance to do this on Saturday, but I won't be there Saturday. Maybe I'll call in in the morning. Um, you might be going solo. Remember you might be going solo. You might be, uh, you might be getting his dream. We're not letting Zach go solo. That'll be a shit show. Uh, (laughs) it's okay. People, he doesn't listen to this anyway. Go ahead. Give me your three keys to the game. Uh, for Purdue, for Nebraska, for Purdue. 
Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't know if you were talking Rutgers. So no, no um, just kidding. I was going to sneak one in there. Um, well, number one, and this is this is kind of a bonus, but they score more points than Purdue. I think we've got it. Um, no, yeah, that's usually how it works. I think I think they've got to they've got to control the line of scrimmage a little bit better on the offensive line, and and I know that's that's easy, but it's got to be something where they're they are creating and pushing the line back even just a couple of yards because if you give if you give grant an opportunity to go two yards before he's touched that's going to turn into 22 yards real quick but he's he's having to dance and he's having to make extra yardage in the backfield i would love to see what his yards after contact are and where that depth of contact is because you know on average it's got to be on the on the line of scrimmage so i think for them, they've got they've got to they've got to establish the run, um, and it's got to be it's got to be a variety. It's got to keep Purdue active. Now, the other thing that I think on the offensive side of the ball is, can you if Purdue looks at the offensive line and says, "All right, it's the time to make my NFL draft tape," then they start screen games like we talked about. Um, getting getting quick slants, getting Grant out outside. I would I would love to see it where, like I, I mentioned it earlier, you've got two guys in the backfield, you've got an option on the right or the left, and you know. So now all of a sudden you're pulling you're pulling a backer out. Do you remember when we thought and then a tight end see right more more two back sets because we yeah. felt so strongly about that running back room. Yeah, and it's just through injury, through lack of production, whatever it is, it, it's just not there. So there's, there's two keys for me on the offensive side. Um, because I think if those things get established, I think the rest of it takes care of itself because Casey Martin has been fairly consistent. I mean, Casey he was, Thompson. yes, I did that again. Didn't I, the golfer, yes. why do I keep saying Casey Martin? What, what I did that I don't know. last week on the radio, two weeks ago. Anyway, Casey Thompson. Wow. Um, he was he was 24 or 36. His average leading going into the game was like 65 point something. It's right at 66%. I trust mm-hmm. him to make the throws when they count. And I think if we're establishing the run, we're keeping the backers at bay and the safety can't just take advantage of, of things. I think we're going to get that on the defensive side. We, we have to be able to, to continue the pressure because you said it earlier Aiden O'Connell is going to dink and dunk and that's what Purdue does you've got to get him uncomfortable we can't it can't Aiden O'Connell can't look like for Purdue what the quarterback for Northwestern looked like against Nebraska game one right Mm -hmm. you know a Heisman contender so I think you get some pressure you're creative with it you mix and match a little bit you know give them a run blitz here and there make keep them on their toes you you, then you start blitzing I, I like what we've seen you know we saw it the other day Malcolm Hartstock comes off that left side. Butler but, Butler's uh, stunts to the inside. Hartstock goes out, almost gets gets home uh, on the quarterback. I don't know if it was Simon, probably because he wasn't moving. He's just a statue back there for Rutgers. But yeah. those are the types of things I think. Man, if we ever get to like a third and fifteen or something next Saturday, I would love to see a play where we have three of our DNs and Ty Robinson. I would love to see Nelson Butler and O'Shawn 
just pinning their ear ba- ears back together. Oh, and I I think that, but the and Clements and Clements is peak is sneaking up a little bit. Henry yeah. is sneaking up a little bit, and you can just tell, and you can almost you get the feeling. Oh, oh here comes this, here comes the corner as well from the backside. Yeah, I mean, if if we can force some third and longs, I'd like to see us get a little bit creative. Um. I think my key is my my first key is obviously keep Casey upright. It has looked very shaky at best, but downright scary when Chuba has to take snaps. Um, now I will I will defend this by saying when he's taken snaps, he hasn't been put in the best situations. The best time, like right deep in the he, deep he in the hasn't. End. No, I mean, no, and I, this isn't a knock on him per se, but you know, yesterday Jalen Daniels goes down for KU and their backup comes in and they don't miss a beat. Yeah, and I, you know, you could argue that that backup has a much better arm than Jalen Daniels. Okay, so let me let me let me. But oh, let's get through the rest of these keys. Uh, oh, sorry, my apologies. No, 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 no. You're Stop good. yelling at me. I'm not yelling. I'm not yelling. We're calm. So you got <laughs> you got you got to keep Casey upright. Uh, two is I think you actually have to establish the short passing game early. You have to establish those quick hitters to help the offensive line both in run blocking but also pass protection. You have to get some of those quick hitters to turn into chunk plays, 10, 15 yards. And then defensively, you just have to trust the game plan and stay calm. I think this is going to be a game that potentially comes down to Nebraska having to kick a field goal at the end. <laughs> I, I, re- I really do. That. I really do. Um, and unfortunately, I just haven't seen anything out of our kicker, good or bad, to to know what to expect. Yeah, and there's it's unfortunately it's been a little nerve wracking. Um, now, I mean, we're one we're one for three on attempts on the year, but two of those were over fifty yards. Now, if it's if it's the Huskers tied and they've got a chance to win it, I'm feeling better. If it's if they're down by two and they've got a chance to win it, now all of a sudden does that does that moment become too big? I I yeah. trust Bleak Road. I think he's I think he's pretty consistent. They've got they've got a good group. Um, but that's the that's the I think you hit on something though. There's gonna be there's gonna be a play. Somebody else is gonna to have to step up and make a play. Now they have a fairly dangerous return man. He averages right at about 25 yards of return. Hasn't had a ton of opportunities, six total. So, you know, if Frankie can continue his uh, kickoffs that are going deep enough to to call those fair catches, um, you know, which brings me to another point. This hasn't been brought up yet. Did Rutgers fear a return game that much when they were popping those short ones up and we were actually averaging about the 27 to 31 yard line on the few know. kickoffs they had? I don't were know. If hoping they, for like, I don't know if they feared the return game. Um, to me, to me, it looked like a wind problem because they okay. only tried that on one side of the field. Was that what it was? Okay. Okay. Um, because they did kick it deep, and and uh, well, I can't think of his name now. We've been talking about him all day. Uh, 
cornerback moving to receiver. Oh, Hill. Tommy Hill had a had a hell of a return. Yeah. Um, but to your point, somebody else is gonna have to step up. I think this is the Alante Brown game of the year. Almost kind of doing what Purdue does. Purdue does mm-hmm. the not the dink and dunk so much, but get him a little bit of space and let him do what he does. Yeah, turn, I, turn what should be a six yard play into a you know thirty six yard play. Those type of things. Yeah. You know? yeah, get him involved in the quick slant game, the drags. Because if they're going to have a safety over the top of of Trey Palmer, let Trey Palmer take a corner and a safety deep and clear out a side for Alante Brown coming across on a shallow cross. When I think I think that's going to be could be good for Alante, right? He he could have a big game. Palmer, I think, is up to the challenge if it's or not Palmer, excuse me. Washington's up to the challenge if it's him, right? He's getting a lot of targets now. A couple a couple of those catches that were reviewed, I don't. Those are tough catches, right? He's got to you know contort his body a little bit, come down with it complete. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount that at all, but. I he also he think, had a tough game. He had a couple of drops that yeah, should have been caught. Yeah. But to on the flip side, he didn't help Casey out, but Casey wasn't helping him out either. No. But again, that all falls back on the offensive line. Well, and yeah, when when the timing is off, and so he's like, oh, I got to get rid of this now to get you know, and you know, step here, step there. But I think I think it's an opportunity. Whomever is if if Vokalek is healthy, that's that's you know number one. Brewington could have a big game. It, it's got to be, I, I think you're right on though. It's got to be another receiver besides um, Palmer. Now, yeah. does this also mean that maybe we see a little bit more of the run game from Casey Thompson by design? Who knows? It wouldn't be a, wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Logan Smothers package. I was thinking the same thing. Um. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some designed Casey Thompson run, because I think you got you got to show that threat a little bit more to help him out. The we talked about it yesterday. His one tuck and go helped him out a ton. I mean, he started getting more time after that. Him climbing the pocket and hitting Grant on the check down bought him more time moving forward. Uh, so hopefully, just getting that on film will help. Who knows? Yeah, I, wanna... I I think Nebraska gets wins this game by by uh, five or less. Okay, okay, I could. Uh... We're not going to have a chance on on Saturday to to give our our prediction. I'm going to go and I'm going to say thirty one seventeen Nebraska. I, I'm just I feeling have... all sorts of optimism right now. I'm sorry. I I have this at thirty nine thirty five. Oh wow, wow, high scoring. Yeah, I, I think it. I I don't think there's going to be a lot of punts involved. Just not a lot of defense. Not not necessarily not a lot of defense. I think it's just going to be. Both teams are they're competing for the Big Ten West. Both teams are going to be very protective of the ball. The the passing game is going to be their running game, and they're just going to go high percentage all day. And move down the field. And, you know, if, if you can dink and dunk down to the 10, it's really hard not to score a touchdown unless you're Nebraska the last four years. Well, yeah, and what what happens, we do that. And then – and it hasn't happened this year, thankfully. But we get down there to the 10, 15, and it's been great. And then penalty, 
penalty, right? And now it's first and it's first and ten from the twenty-five, and then all of a sudden it's first and goal next time from the fifteen, from the twenty, yeah. whatever it is. I want to I want to go back to something you mentioned before. You you talked about um, watching Kansas and they brought in a backup quarterback, and you didn't recognize that just based on the play that it was really the backup. And it's you know what we've seen of Purdy, you know however you want to look at that, it hasn't been great. And so it's like, how, how does Kansas have this dynamic, really strong backup? So that's my lead into a little bit of the coaching search question. Is that, is that recruiting? Is that coaching? Does that, does that lend itself to a um, Lance Leipold type of guy? Or who do you want to see? Well, hold on, hold on. Is there, I, are there I, any I, names that we really haven't talked about that you're kind of thinking yeah. might be an option now? Yeah, no, so first off, let me go back to to this Kansas thing. There's some nuance that goes into how well that kid looked. TCU rushed three guys all day. So he was standing back in the pocket with a lot of time. But he threw some great strikes to the back of the end zone. Uh, Honest, I didn't watch ESPN Top 10 last night or this morning, but there was probably five touchdown catches between both teams in the fourth quarter that should have been on there. that that's just a fun fucking league to watch Fitz. uh and do you do you miss it a little bit do you miss the big 12 i do but here's something we talk about how big and bad big 10 defenses are and shit but over the last 10 years the big 12 has had more top 30 defenses than the big 10 when you go into like adjusted yards per play and all that shit yeah. It, it it's just a fast-paced league and the SEC is going that way. It, you, the Big 10 has the Big 10 money. We have a couple of power programs. I mean, obviously the Big 12 looks like they're dying. But just like I've said about basketball, if the Big 10 doesn't adjust, this TV deal's not going to last forever. And if the SEC is the only fun football to watch because we're playing nine to six games all the time or 13, 10, that next TV deal is not going to match. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's also, it's, also, I mean, we talk about big 10 officiating. I, part of the reason I don't think we try and get an explosive as a conference is because we don't trust the fucking officials. Those officials in that KU TCU game, spot on with all these great toe drags and barely getting the knee down uh i'm i'm blown away with how much better the big 12 is officiated but to the coaching search yeah there's there's a lot of names we haven't really talked about or dove into that i that i like we've talked about leipold at nauseam i love chris Kleiman at k-state i really do um adrian martinez is playing turnover free base of a football down there and he's throwing it around like it's baseball yeah it's i mean accurate too yeah i who would have thought hey k-state's offensive line doesn't rate out that much better than nebraska's uh according to pro football focus it doesn't but they have a successful running game uh which helps no well and and let's here's and this is the fun and the part play I, calling makes fucking sense yeah like, what and it's i don't know how much the word fun but when we go through these coaching searches, unfortunately, right. Um, yeah. you, it forces you, you kind of want to watch other teams and you kind of get an idea like climate is 
like I was all over it early on. I watched the Kansas State against Oklahoma. You know, good for Martinez. Really happy for him. You know, you you start to not to go down this road. You start to understand why he left, right? Let's just be real about that and leave it as it is. But you know, you've kind of gone away from from climbing, at least in my mind, just because there's so many other names that pop up here and there. But I, you know, you know, I follow three year Letterman on Twitter. Chris Kleiman has trouble opening doors because he has so many championship rings from his time in North Dakota State. That's what well, and that's what I was getting to. It's like, and that was there, but look what look what that school's produced in the league, right? Look what the types of players that go there because they want to play for him. And it's not just and there's there's a way, there's an identity, all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not completely opposed. He's still, he's still in my list of if he gets he at least should be considered at least get an interview, those, those sorts of things. I I don't know. I think he's, he's producing. I don't think he's the flash in the pan, mm-hmm. the bright, shiny toy that Leipold is right now. Um, or Dave Aranda or ah, by the I way, he's struggling I, all of a sudden. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. That's it. That's interesting. Now. I don't know. Is there, is there somebody that so, has a, like a life, you know what, like a bigger body of work though. I mean, yes. that's where I'm kind of and, getting at is like, and I'm getting to this guy because this guy, his game was the final leg on my six leg parlay yesterday. That paid me some pretty good money. $70,000. Uh, is that how betting works? Yeah. You bet a dollar and you won 70 K I bet 20. I won 682. Oh, nice. Uh, um, this guy is a guy that I've always said is a dream hire for, for me, for Nebraska. I love him. Uh, I think the fan base kind of likes him because of some stuff he's done in the media, but I always didn't think it was an option until I realized how much he didn't get along with, with the athletic department down there. And we just said this on Jimmy's live stream, right? Like, I don't think that there's a lot of coaches out there other than Nick Saban, Dabo, and anybody who moved last year, right? Let's just throw throw out like the Lincoln Rileys, those guys who moved last year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's very many Power Five coaches that Nebraska doesn't have a realistic shot at because of everything we have going for us with Trev Alberts' new facility being built that they're gonna have get to put their stamp on our NIL collectives and. To me, the most attractive part of this job, other than getting to work for Trev, is being in the Big Ten West, where you're not going to have to play power teams all the time, but you're in a power conference. You have a pretty good – if you can be become the best team of the West in the Big Ten, you have a legitimate shot at getting to the playoff because you only have to win the Big Ten championship and you're pretty much guaranteed in. Well, and this year you only—I think you only have to win three or four games to get to the to be the Big Ten West champion. Right? So it's not a right. bad. It's not a bad and, deal. You know, I mean, Wisconsin's going to have to go through a rebuild with Jim Leonard too. Iowa's Iowa. They're they're going to be good once every eight. They're going to be world beaters once every eight years. Um, so really, you just have to get through Michigan or Ohio State in the Big Ten championship, right? And now Illinois. Who figured? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a flash in I think that's a flash in a pan. I think he inherited a very good roster left over by Levy Smith. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. 
But so, yeah, I don't think a guy like Lane Kiffin is unattainable, but a guy that I love, but I never throw on my list because I never thought he was attainable until some recent news came out the last few weeks about him reaching out to Nebraska in 2018 and reaching out to Florida last year is my guy, the mullet, Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, who I love what he does. They run the ball well out of a spread. He always has good quarterbacks. I mean, Brandon Wheaton didn't work out in the NFL, but he was a high. Well, he was 37 when he was yeah. a freshman there. Yeah, but. And, Joke people. He wasn't that old. He was only 34. But Mike Gundy, more so than most coaches you've ever seen, will defend any one of his players to the media. I'm a man. I'm 40. Like, I, I, I think it's a perfect fit for what we need. And I think he's very gettable. Okay. So let's just, let's just, let me jump to the other side, just because this is what makes this fun. So back in 2017, he reportedly turned down $42 million from Tennessee. Right. And on November 28th of 2017, he tweets cowboy for life. Now, if, if people's tweets were lock stock and that's what they had to go by now, we'd all, everybody on Twitter be screwed. But my point is, a lot of things have changed. Um, I think, I think. Including you, ten- Tennessee's athletic department. Okay. Well, that's, that's, yes, that's changed. But on just sticking with Mike Gundy on the Oklahoma state side, there's been some, some friction it's and it's public, it's public knowledge. Um, I just wonder if he's at this point in time, he's 55. If our math is right, 2017, he was 50. It's 2022. So let's just go out on a limb and say he's 55. This could be if, if things were to break a little bit and things were just to, to get a little bit more consistent here at Nebraska, this could be an 8, 10 to 12-year gig for him, maybe even a little bit longer, right? I think mm-hmm. he, he values all sides of the game. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's definitely intriguing. Um, he's got, he's got a personality that seems to be blue collar and I'm not talking just because of the mullet. I'm just saying, you know, he, he seems like he appreciates it now. Yeah. I mean, he's an Oklahoma guy, which, yeah, and, you know, and it's a little he's also good south, for quarterbacks. It, he's good for quarterbacks too. And we just, great. We haven't, we've gotten some really, really good recruits. And we talked about, we've talked about this before. And I just want to, I'm not going to talk about it, but I want to mention it. What did we see of Adrian Martinez from year one on? We just didn't see the development. Right. right? So, and now here, let's, so let's we're, go we're, down his, uh, let, let's go down his, his resume here. Started coaching at Oklahoma State, uh, 1990 as a wide receiver coach, 91 to 93 QB coach. 94 OC quarterback coach, 95 Jess quarterback coach, 96 he moves over to Baylor, passing game coordinator, quarterback coach, 1997 Maryland wide receiver coach, 2000 passing game coordinator, quarterback coach at at, uh, Maryland before going back to Oklahoma State as the associate head coach and offensive coordinator from 2001 to 2004 and now is the head coach from 2005 to present. So one thing Nebraska fans have said that they really wanted is somebody who can be here for a while. 17 years tells me you're pretty committed to being somewhere, right? Well, and he's, and, and he's, 
154 and 69 all total as a head coach, right? Mm-hmm. And that's from 2005 to 2022. So his longevity, he coached prior to that, right? And it's not like he was high school and was renowned because he did something crazy and now he got a job, right? He 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 earned his time. He was a college player. He's 93 and 56 in the in the Big 12. But here's the here's the thing for me, and I know it, it and I'm I'm the one that jokes about it. Other than his first year at Oklahoma State in 2005, he's taken him to a bowl game. He's taken him to a bowl game every single year. And some quick math. 11 wins. Six losses. Five losses. Five or six losses. Yeah. In yeah. Bowl games. 11, of, 11 of five. Wouldn't we wouldn't we take that over the last 16 years without question? Yeah. And so we've here here's why I think are we talking ourselves and the rest of the audience into Mike Gundy? I'm I'm all over let's Mike do Gundy. it. Let's do I'm it. All let's all just Mike. start the here here's the other thing why I think he's really gettable, and I kind of already touched on it. Coaching in the Big Ten West. Unless you're in the Big 12 and you go 13 and 0, you don't really have a shot at at the playoff, right? I mean, let's just be honest, especially once Oklahoma and Texas are gone. You go 12 and one at Nebraska, win the big 10 championship. You have a shot to get into the playoff. I think this guy as, as a coach, and I, I feel like most coaches are this way, has the ego that he wants to be on top. He's towards the end of his coaching career. He's looking for an opportunity to go get that separate from not getting along with the athletic department, separate you, from that rift. He wants a legitimate people, job. Well, okay. And legitimacy is kind of where I was going with this. Do you think that in his mind too, and there's probably other people that he's in that prove it moment too, like, okay, can you can, you can win in, in the big 12, right? So going back to 2012 through 2021, their worst finish was 2014 and it was seventh place in the big 12 right Mm -hmm. it's it's historically second or third and who are they behind it's generally going to be your now texas oklahoma right oklahoma sometimes baylor's sometimes yeah yeah, baylor's stepped up but but they're right there right and the fact of the matter is besides the cheese it bowl in 2020 but go to the fiesta bowl right go to the sugar bowl go to the alamo bowl go to the cotton bowl and I know some of those are, are conference aligned, but they're still big name bowls. You know, they're not getting in. They're not. We would kill to go back to the fucking Alamo Bowl. I would love to go to the Pinstripe Bowl right now. Yeah, I'll go. Like, I'll go to New I, York in winter can we, to play bowl games. We might. We might. We might be able to take Iowa's standing invitation to the Outback Bowl or the San Diego Bowl, whatever it is. I just. I. I don't know. The more I wasn't. I wasn't there before. But you've you've really convinced me that okay. So what what does he bring as a coach? Record aside, all that other stuff. What does he bring that Nebraska would benefit from? Well, so let's I think, say, okay. Let's I think say that, I think if you bring him in, you know, he's already he's built a program. He's built a Power Five program. Yeah. O- Oklahoma State wasn't chugging along when he took over. Seventeen years there. Yeah. Um, so he, and this is, 
not not to take a shot, but this is where I think Scott fell short was he was not committed and did not love the process of building the program. Gundy, while he hasn't had to do it for a while because he did it very early on, knows how to do it. He knows how to win, right? So right there, you're getting a proven Power 5 head coach with 17 years of experience coming in, ready to go. And His team's finished ranked over half its tenure. Nine out of 17 years, they finished ranked. Adaptability. He didn't always run the spread offense. He's adapted. You know, he's changed how things work down there. So I think that adaptability is, is very attractive for Nebraska. But he also lets his, his coaches do a lot of the coaching. I think if you bring Gundy in, I think he takes over the quarterback room as the quarterback coach, at least early on in his tenure. Saves one of those position spots for elsewhere. Um, I think he's smart enough to retain Mickey. He's familiar with what Applewhite did at TCU with the running backs. I think he's smart enough to keep him around. And, you know, I, I think he tries to keep a guy like Bill Bush possibly a bear rude and focuses on upgrading the line offensive line is obviously very important to him so he's going to go get a quality offensive line coach and you know their defensive backs aren't bad he maybe he brings one of his defensive coaches with him i i don't know what what the staff makeup looks like but i also don't think he costs as much as a dave aranda because i don't think it's about the money for him i think he wants to go have a shot to win so he might not cost as much, which gives him a bigger pool of money for those assistants. Well, and I think I think something that maybe gets overlooked sometimes is the fact that the Big 12 and what everybody assumes is the, um, you know, the spread air raid, you know, Hawaii type offense, right? Look at across the... Kansas State's is a little rough right now, but look at Oklahoma State. Look at, and I'm talking when I get there. K-State runs for 300 yards They do, but look at their offensive line, the body types, right? But look at those guys. Are you telling me that he wouldn't covet and doesn't covet those types of guys so we wouldn't get, I mean, there are times that, you know, we, I looked at Georgia Southern. I'm like, why can't we get offensive linemen that look like that, right? That look like offensive linemen. They don't look like, basketball players that threw on a bunch of weight you took the exact words out of my mouth I wasn't I didn't have the exact weight part of it but the basketball players right I mean what do we oh look at our offensive line we average six eight you know across the board like that's if the basketball team is short on bodies I don't want to be able to lend them an offensive line to go play center and Zach Zach hit on it Saturday it's the it's the it's the bend right we talk about defense is not bending or breaking but look at our offensive linemen like They've got to get down. They're bending, bit, right? They're They've bending got and broken. They're, they're, yeah, and they're, they're just bending over. They're not settled, you know, on and on and on. And I'm not gonna, I'm not the guy to, to get in and talk about that. But I just, you look at that, and it's like, okay, those are, those look like offensive linemen. Plus, it's not, you know, it's fun, right? You said it. It's, it's fun. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think I've talked myself into him being my number one target. I, I could be there. I could be there with you too. I mean, it's, it's now is Aranda a little bit more appealing because he has a relationship with Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph. Sure. Maybe. 
Well, let's let's look on both sides of this. You've got Gundy, which is an offensive mind, right? He's an offensive mm-hmm. kind of guy. You have Arander, who's a defensive guy. We always have this knee-jerk reaction, and it goes back to, well, Pelini was this type of coach, so now let's go for the complete opposite. Instead of fire and brimstone, let's get ice cream and sprinkles, and that's how we ended up with Riley. And mm-hmm. now, you know, well, is our defense so bad that now we've got to get this – I don't – what you said is he's built a program. Aranda took Baylor on, right? And and has gotten them. Bill O'Brien. But Baylor, same Baylor, but, Baylor was humming. Yeah. When Aranda got there. Matt Rule had just yeah, won. And he yeah. So look at but look at Bill O'Brien, right? You look at those things of what can they do under the circumstance of where the team is in that moment. I trust Gundy, right? They were they were seven and five, seven and four his first year seven and five, probably. Right. Or maybe even worse than that. No, it was worse than that. It was four and uh, four and seven, one and seven in the conference, three and five year two. And it's just been a steady climb, you know, last year, eight and one. So I just, he, he can build, he can build programs, but that's where, right. That's where I'm at right now is I want, if it's not Mickey and the, and, and it's going to be very obvious as if it should or shouldn't, and he's either going to tell us, you know, but a professional, somebody who covets the job, but also can has exhibit exhibited coaching tendencies leading up to this. Because look at somebody put it out there and it's I'm not even going to name who because it was on several different different sites and stuff like that. But the list of coaches that took over jobs in 2018 and it was like all of them are gone. Yeah, and what did now? There's a few that have stuck around and done. No, no, they're all gone. Are they're all gone? All power five. What what did what did Frost show us before that? Like he was he inherited some good things that you know. But again, who was he? Who was he going up against? People say, "Oh, Big Twelve's not." You said it before. Big Twelve's competitive, right? Look at what their teams do. I mean, they're gonna take. They're gonna do their part. I I don't know. I right now, I I think Gundy is right there. I'm going to, I want to give a little bit more time and, and, and research into a random myself, because I, I feel so, like Trev's probably going to call me at some point to ask me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got to be, I have to be prepared. So here, here's an interesting stat about the totality of what Gundy has done at Oklahoma state. I just checked it. That's a big word. So since year three, since his third year, he had in years two and three, he went seven and six. Since then, he has had one, two, three, oh, don't, don't say it. Four, don't say it. Five, six seasons of more than three losses. Oh, I thought you were going to say nine wins. Nine no, 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 no. times. Nine no, times. Ferris but, Bueller, people. Ferris Bueller, go with it. But nine wins. He has had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine and it looks like he's on pace for number 10 the guy doesn't lose he don't miss as the kids say (laughs) who are these kids you're speaking of i don't know i play call of duty with them But that's some, that's, some, that some levity to this. That's awesome. they're they're Even usually we're yeah, like we're in a laboratory right now, and we are essentially creating a package. And if we should probably just when we're done, 
just when type it up and send it to Trev. Well, and, and probably create a PowerPoint. Yeah. Just to just to make it look, you know, a little bit better. Um, no, I also here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten we ten seasons in the top twenty finishing in the top twenty-five. And one, two, three in the top ten. Well, okay, let's let's look and at that Oklahoma's I I you know, Nebraska fans are gonna say we we should always finish in the top ten. We should be a top ten program in the country. I agree. Oklahoma State is not Nebraska. They don't have the resources. Oklahoma yeah. State, which is which is their five hundred mile radius is probably about the same as ours too. By the way, because they've got Boone Pickens money, but it's never gone that way, right? It's right. not. There's there's and that's part of the part of the problem. He doesn't feel like he has the support there. You know, here's the thing. Gundy is just a little bit older than Alberts. They're both professionals. I think they're both respected in their field, right? That could be a conversation. And I know it's not like Scott's like some young pup, right? But I think you bring it in, you bring somebody like him in, and it and Alberts doesn't feel like he's babysitting. You know, if he if he needs oh, the, if he needs a, if he needs a, him a TPS runway. report on Monday, I think Gundy's getting him the TPS reports. Yeah. You know? Um, thank you. Appreciate it. He's not, he's not stealing the stapler either. (laughs) No, not the red one. Um, but, but look at this though. I joked about Brandon Whedon and this, you know, deep dive into Mike Gundy is proving to be a lot more fun than I thought it would. Um, but when did he switch to the mullet? That's the real question. No, 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 no. The real question is when has he not had a mullet? Because that mullet looks like it belongs on him. And nowhere like else. Like an eagle belongs on a Trans Am. I mean, those go, those are right there together. Right? You you know you look at you look at Gundy and you know two things about him. The guy, well, three things. The guy loves Bush Light. He loves America, and a bald eagle cut that mullet with its talons. I don't. This last forty five seconds may have been the greatest in this podcast. And he, but he Ubers in a nineteen eighty seven Chevy Silverado with a guy just yelling, "Hell yeah, brother!" So, is, are you saying Zach's maybe out of a job unless he switches up vehicles? It's well, got to be a Trans Am, or it's got to be it's like it's, an eighty seven Chevy. It's got to be a okay. square body. No, you know who he reminds me of? Who he is on Cobra Kai, right? He's stuck in the eighties. He's he's not living anyway. I mean, um, but you was, know, we talk about the sound bites of "I'm a man," "I'm 40," all that shit, and and some people went crazy and didn't like it. I loved it. I loved it. Anybody who's going to go defend his players, and you know, I don't think our media takes shots like that, anyways. A little personality can go a long way too, right? Your kids are going to. The players, like, yeah, they're kids. They're, it it they're works gonna, for Mickey. It, it it really does. And, you know, he says right now, it's, I'm, it's not even saying the right thing. He's saying what needed to be said for a long time. Now, I'm going to quick go back to this. 2011 season, we talked about Brandon Whedon. So, but just hear me out on this. That was the same year as Justin Blackman, right? Dynamic, game-changing receiver. Brandon Whedon, serviceable quarterback who could, accurate and could get the ball out pretty quickly but here's the thing they also had his new guy 
No, but they had a defense that led in turnover margin, right? They, those are the types of things you don't think about, but, and they also, they usually generally have a productive run game too. Um, and, and that's where we're looking though. Think about Cush Kleiman's probably not far off that same mold, right? The, right. You know, create a run game and then the pass comes off that or Gundy has created a system that you get, get put Casey Thompson and Mike Gundy's system right now. Mm-hmm. Probably pretty damn good. He's already at six. He's at 66% with an offensive line that we talked about it on the radio on Saturday. That is the worst paper towel that you can buy. Yeah. And everything. It's just a seed. I mean, so going back to 2011, the way that title get that title game was great, by the way, you know, that is, Gene Chizik, Chip Kelly, Marcus Mariota. Uh, why well, can't I think of his uh, Cam Newton, right? Oh, yeah, Auburn and Oregon. You you could have sold me back then. I remember thinking it. You could have sold me back then that Oklahoma State deserved a shot at that game. Because that Oklahoma State team was fun to watch. Now, obviously, it's really hard to put a 12 and at that point, eleven and one team into the title game versus twelve and thirteen and zero. But I think Gundy might snake that game from Auburn. Yeah, they're going to put points up, right? That's the that's the thought that o- Oregon was going to put points up. You know, yeah. can you keep can you keep up? Um, I don't know. I know it's not. I'm kind of detracting from what you're talking about, but Oregon just didn't have the defense and no, they did. Well, and there you go. And that's, that's the thing. Think about that where Indiana. Who did Oklahoma state lose to that year? Now I'm really curious, but you look at this offense could, could run with anybody in the big 10 West. Right. And you would think that he, if, if he's got an identity that he wants to go to, or he brings a coach in that he trusts that has an offensive identity, they're going to find, they're going to find the guys. I completely forgot that um, Les Miles was the coach that was there before uh, Gundy got him. He was? Yeah. I did not know Gundy, that. Gundy was Miles' offensive coordinator. Interesting. Uh, Okie State's one loss in 2011 was at Iowa State, 31-37 in double overtime. Paul Rhodes was the coach. Was that the game? Was that the game in the in the locker room when he said, "I'm so proud"? Was that the game? Probably. They went six and seven that year, though. Yeah. I don't know. Obvi- I, I mean, obviously, they didn't have to play against Nebraska because we were already over in the Big Ten. Yeah. But Iowa State did beat Iowa that year. Triple overtime. <laughs> I mean, All right, how many I'm games in. did they have that year? Oh, shit. What? Okay, so just, I'm, an idiot. I'm, a, I'm an idiot. Let's just be real about this. The Les Paul Rhodes so ever- proud. No, the so oh. proud was against Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. I was, yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we're all in on we're all <laughs> in nine, on Mike Gundy. A 9-7 victory over Nebraska in 2009. There we are. There yeah. we are. We are all in on Mike Gundy. I think I uh I think I I I Fitz Fitz might become a uh, Mike Gundy fan account at this plus, point in time. Plus he has a son who, by the way, is a walk-on quarterback at Oklahoma State or was at one point. But he has a great name, Gunner. Anybody who names their son Gunner gets gets a shot at Nebraska in my book. Gunner Gundy. Gunner Gundy. Well, hey, and I think and I think people people tuned out about 74 minutes ago, but that's okay. If you're still listening, this is what you're here for. Think about the teams. I mean, look at what Stoops did to us at Oklahoma, right? Look at to look at what I mean, how many teams have we played where the coach's son is just burned? nebraska that's what maybe that's what we need right now maybe that's what we need i don't know i you know what else i think gundy's gonna bring us which is long overdue some awesome black helmets oh oh this could be a podcast of its own of itself should should we do a jersey podcast you know what i got a job for you this week I'm going to send you some ideas. I want you to design some new helmets and jerseys. Oh, yeah, because I've got so much. I've got to design a T-shirt for a buddy for his basketball team, but I'll put it on my list, all which right, I'm already right. like three days behind. But, on dude, you know, they have, they have their awesome – I love their matte black helmets that say Cowboys and Orange on them. Why I would love – I wouldn't mind. Huskers. Thank you. Thank you. There, there it is right now. And, you know, that's the – I love the word irony. Um but I think the irony of that is when everyone thought that Frost was going to bring in the 74 uniforms like Oregon has, you know, mm-hmm. now we're steeped in tradition. A lot of it is starting to go. We need to recreate some tradition around here. Let's just, let's be honest about that. I'm not. Let's, let's move forward into the. Yeah. I, because I, here's I, the, let's, let's be realistic. Mike Gundy with the black and, and the hair and all that stuff, it kind of lends itself and looks like kind of a Wild West character, right? He looks like he's walking into the OK Corral. He give me that idea of Nebraska, hard work, you know, that type of thing. Dude, I'm, I'm there. I would. Can you imagine Mike Gundy coaching on the sideline at Nebraska wearing a cowboy hat? And some cowboy boots and maybe some overalls like fucking and a Kirby long, Husky. And a, no, a long black coat, right? And actually, no, I, I'm thinking more in his. I'm thinking more of like a Herbie Husker outfit. <laughs> That's, well, they're gonna. Okay, now let's let's just uh, go. You know, uh, look at your eyes right here. Uh, no, what if, this is where what I'm if, going with this. What this if is where I'm going. New, what if the rebranded Herbie Husker actually looks like, looks like, Mike, like Gundy? Mike Gundy? I mean, is this where we end right now? Is this where we end? I mean, have we created? Have we solved the puzzle? Is this national treasure? Is this Illuminati? Is this Da Vinci Code? Like, are you we and on all of it? I mean, well, all of it. Let's not. Let's not. You did know, we just got cure, some? Did we just cure cancer? Yeah, you know. Or, or let's let's just be reasonable here. Did we just find Nebraska's next coach? I think we did. I think I I think we did. Um, I'm going to put yeah. a Twitter poll out. I, I was just going to ask you. You're a Twitter poll guy, as small who, as it may be. You who just, would you rather you have, put, Mike Gundy or Dave Aranda? 
Oh, I like that. I like that. Let's go, let's go with that. Look for that, people. Look for that. We'll get that out and we'll talk about it sometime. And you, you know what else I'm going to do this time on my poll? I'm really bad about doing this. I'm not going Wiping. to. No, I'm not going to argue back on responses. I'm not going to. I'm not going to play devil's advocate. I'm not going to agree. I'm just going to let them come in. I like that because it's almost like what's the word I'm looking for? Like more scientific in nature. Mm-hmm. Like you're just putting out a poll. Let the people speak. Right. We're a democracy. Democracy that right now needs to choose Mike Gundy. Yeah. We're Zach's, more of a uh, never mind. I'm not I'm not going to get technical. Zach's going to shit when he goes to to load this and it's like 97 minutes long. It's like, what did you guys talk about? The last 37 minutes was really a about Mike Gundy's hair for Mike Gundy and why he should be the Huskers next coach. You tell you, us why we're wrong, Husker fans. I, I really want to I want to see responses. And I swear if I see one thing that says he doesn't like to recruit, I'm gonna blow a fucking gasket. Why is that why is that the thing that everybody says? Now we talked about this at nauseum on Saturday, right? This idea of you know Bill hey, O'Brien. I told, like I told you like, I told you where it comes from. Once somebody becomes a head coach, they are no longer an elite recruiter. And if they you are, hate, that means they have shit around them. Yeah. Tell me who's an elite recruiter as a head coach. You tried to push back on me yesterday on the radio. And when I asked the question, you just gave me a blank stare. That's my normal stare. That's my <laughs> resting dumb face. That's your resting bitch face. <laughs> but ser- seriously, like name a, name a head coach out there right now who is still considered an elite recruiter. There are plenty of them who at one point were elite recruiters. Clay Helton. He's not a power five head coach. Mark Mangino. Not a coach. Urban Meyer. Not a head coach. Jerry Sandusky. <laughs> Did I cross no. the line? Yeah, I think you crossed the line. <laughs> I just I I hate this idea of our head coach our head coach has to be the elite recruiter because that his job is not to be the recruiter. His job is to set the plan for those who go out and recruit. Of course. But I, and I think it was, it was our, um, I'm going to just refer to him as our esteemed colleague, Brian Munson um, from on three and, and Husker online, which I, I know for a fact that he does not listen to this, but that's, it's, you probably hear this uh, disdain in my voice, but he talked about you don't need your head coach to be that elite recruiter, but you need your head coach to want to recruit and value recruiting, right? Um, you can't, because at that point in time, like it's all going to come back on you. If you're not getting the guys, it's still going to come back on you as the head coach, right? So 100%. But so that goes back to your point of you've got to have the plan. You've got to have, but I think, you know, and you don't know what all is going to be changing behind the scenes, but you've got, um, Vince, uh, is it, uh, what's his name? Galunda. What's his, what's the recruiting guy's name for the Huskers? Um, oh, know, I thought you I thought you I thought you were talking about the guy who's at Kentucky now. No, no, that's Vince Morrow. But like, there's, we've got a, a recruiting guy that came from, he was at Baylor actually. I don't know if he crossed paths with Aranda, but he was at Baylor. I'm just using that as an example. Like if you get the right, it's, what does it come down to get the right guys in the right positions, the best leaders, the best coaches, the best, whatever it is, 
bosses surround themselves with good people that are Andy probably Vaughn. smarter and better at their jobs than the CEO is. And then you just can take all the credit. Now, I'm not saying that's Mike Gundy at all. I'm just, I also believe though that Mike Gundy can put a staff together that would be, you know, we look at, we look at a, 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 the defensive line coach at Penn State that's been there for a while, who's really, really good. And it's like, why can't we get that guy, right? You look at um, the defensive coordinator at Iowa, like, why can't, you know, so if that's what this guy can bring in, Mike Gundy or Aranda or whomever it is, that's what I want. Don't bring your cronies. Don't bring the guys that got you to, you know, 12 and 0 on a, you know, a one season. Vince Quinta. You're talking yes, about Vince Quinta. Quinta. Yeah, Quinta. Um, he's a professional in what he does. Just keep those types of things going. They're not connected to the staff or one coach or whatever. Just if they're good enough, keep them there. And I think that's what Trev, I know we're kind of, this is a long, windy road, but I think Trev, that's what he's going to do. And whomever that is. Guinto was at Baylor while Aranda was at Baylor. Sorry for cutting you off. No, that's fine because that's what I was trying to figure out. So, I mean, there's some connections there, um, but no, I don't know. I, I think right now in my mind, I'm, I'm Aranda. Um, I'm uh, Gundy. I'm, I'm high on Joseph. If you, if you gave me a four pick, I would put right now, well, let's go five. Aranda, Gundy, Joseph, just because for shits and giggles, Lane Kiffin. And then for me, I think my fifth is going to be, I think, Chris Kleiman, just as a, you know, kind of a little bit of a wild card. I'm, I'm not well, out and, on the And Cycle, a guy but... who's recruited to tough places. North Dakota State's tough to recruit mm-hmm. to, Kansas State. Uh, and he gets, think... he gets what he needs out of his guys and then some. Yeah. That's Here, all. Here's my five that most of them I've talked about it on our conclave. Number one. Which, can, I, can I interrupt you for a quick yeah. second? The idea of a conclave, which was yours, I'm going to give you full credit. Yeah. We were talking about the smoke and naming somebody, and you brought it up, and I think that's fabulous. Our producer on Church of the Corn radio show, Saturdays, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., 1620 The Zone, came up with that opening. I mean, just it, that that right there and Brian Munson's opening made it, for me, feel like it was a full-on radio show at that moment. I was yeah. proud. I was a proud papa. You you did cry. You did cry. I, I did. Um, it it was a it was a reaction to suck my thumb. Um, I know you guys kind of were a little bit not sure what was going on with that, but well, I, I was a little. I talked to somebody. I've talked to somebody. I I was more worried about how you got your whole fist down your throat. It it freaked me out. <laughs> um. So, my. <laughs> Who are my, you five? Oh my god! Oh my, my god! Number one is Gundy, one hundred percent. Get your fist out of your throat! It's freaking me out. Uh, two is Aranda. After, after the conclave yesterday, I I have moved Bill O'Brien out of my top ten to number three. I I really talked him up to number three. Four for me is Lane Kiffin. And then five is is going to be uh, climbing, I think. So you don't have For Joseph now. in your top five? 
that that's assuming Joseph isn't the guy. Yeah. Um, now I have two other names that will come out in the conclave in coming weeks that replace a couple of guys in that top five. Ooh, that's what we call a teaser in the professional biz. Yeah, yeah, it is. I just don't I because we're about to cut this off and I I don't want to drop these names and not have the chance to sell it. Like I got the opportunity to sell Mike Gundy tonight. Would you let me guess? I won't answer, but go ahead. Clay Helton. No. And Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer <laughs> is is somebody that is on my list to never coach a game in Nebraska. That's funny. You know, funny. I, I'm going to end on this. Why do I keep saying Clay Helton, by the way? Did he beat us? Did he beat us? He did, but he lost to Georgia State yesterday. Yeah. Oh, well, a lot of teams lose to Georgia State. Uh, only two teams this year. <laughs> by uh, by the uh, transitive formula, right? Oh, Georgia's, Georgia State would be tra- tra- transitive. <laughs> transitive property of congruency yes the transvestite congruency all right all right all right um fitz what do you got for the folks let's get out of here uh check out uh check out drake's poll is he gonna put out there for the world to see um i'm I'm also gonna add third coaching option is fitz with his fist in his mouth the whole game no would you please put please put aranda Gundy and Clay Helton, just just to see <laughs> if you respect me enough. No, uh, no, this has been fun. It's 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 kind of it was crazy yesterday not having the Huskers play. I'm excited for you know even though it's at Purdue a night game, um, it 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 makes for a fun it fun day and and leading up to it. So, uh, yeah, hit us up with your responses to uh, Aranda or Gundy. Don't bring other coaches into it. We're just talking Aranda and Gundy right now out of those two. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Gundy. Uh, I'm locked in. All right, Fitz. Thank you for your time tonight. Um, not a pleasure as always. And we'll get out of here. All right. We'll talk All to everybody right. next week. Yeah. Members of the congregation, let's raise our Kool-Aid-filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red.